and I think the reason that we buy into the things that make us lazier is, is based on a lie that has to do with contentment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell, tell you exactly what that is here in a second. But I, I just want to kind of recap just a little bit about what we're doing here. And Chip kind of mentioned this uh, about this idea of contentment and happiness and what it looks like to pursue it. What's the secret behind this? And last week we talked about that. Paul reveals the secret to uh, being content in a godly way, and we debunked some ingrained ideas about what it looks like, where it comes from, and hopefully over the next few weeks today and the, and the couple weeks more that we have left in this series, you'll see how we're building from kind of an inward and outward idea of what contentment looks like, and so we're starting within our hearts, souls, minds, uh, where our strength comes from, because that's really where the problem is, as much as we might want to jump the fence to the greener grass on the other side, we're always taking us with us, and that's really the problem. We are our, our own issue when it comes to contentment, and Jesus is the secret to dealing with, with that. And so this is how we come to experience a more fulfilled life, is following God's idea and definition of what commitment looks like. And when we trust and obey him, regardless of our circumstance, we can learn contentment even if we don't feel content in the moment. So that's the foundation we've laid, and here's what we're going to build on top of that. Here's the sneaky temptation that we face. This is the lie that we have to get past and discover the truth behind, behind this lie. This is the great obstacle for most of us when it comes to contentment, and it's this. We believe that the more comfortable we are, the more content we'll be. The more comfortable I am, the more content I will be. And it's just simply, simply not true. It's the counterintuitive untruth that leads to so much wistful thinking of, man, if there are only some things that we could change in our life, if things could be just a little bit different, if we could just get to the other side of the fence, it would all be taken care of, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, for example, I'd, I'd major, I, I'd, I'd would uh, maybe cautiously suggest that most of us have looked in the mirror and not been happy with what we see. Now, like I'm not trying to make I'm not trying to make any statements here. You're all beautiful people. We're all beautiful, and and we have worth and all, all that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, I mean, like when's the last time you looked in the mirror and you're like, I'm cool, like I'm I'm ready. I'm the fun. Hey, you know, you know, it's like, it's like everything everything's good. For me, that's that's been a while. Like I don't remember a time where that's been the case. That was the great thing about having a beard is I could hide half my face. Some of you are just like. That's what's different about him. He had a beard a couple weeks ago. It's weird. You know, and so then the big nose becomes a little bit more pronounced and the uneven earlobes and that kind of thing. And some of you are going to be coming a little bit closer to me than usual and kind of looking to see if that's really the case. I mean, it's hard to be satisfied with things, especially that we can't, can't change. But whether it's our self-image or our job or the contents of our bank account or our family or relationship status... Or just simply understanding and applying God's will for your life, you fill in the blank, whatever you're dealing with, just be aware that pursuing comfort in that issue is not the same as pursuing contentment in that place in your life. In fact, comfort is often the obstacle to real and lasting contentment. Let me give you an example in my life. About seven years ago, after a long hiatus from playing basketball and volleyball, I decided to get back in volleyball. And so I was in Ohio. There was a pickup game locally. And so I went, and it was fantastic. It was like riding a bike. Uh, my, I wasn't nearly, uh, it wasn't nearly as difficult for me to get back into it fitness-wise as I, as I thought that night, which I thought was weird because I hadn't been playing in a few years. 
and, and it was great, and I look forward to the next week. Then the next morning came, and, and I don't know if you've had this experience where you haven't worked out in a while, and then you go, like, just blow it out, and you have a big workout, and what it's like the next day. But I woke up, and I was feeling t- pretty good until I tried to move. And when I say this, I need to explain. We, we had, it was a two-story townhouse, and I need to explain to you that when I say I was in pain and I couldn't move, I, I'm, te- I'm telling you, like, I thought Renee was going to have to call someone to come get me out of bed just as, so I could get to the bathroom. I could not even bend my leg slightly to put weight on it. That's how shredded my leg muscles were. And so in order to get down to the stair, and, and it's going to be hard for me to kind of reenact this, but I was holding onto the banner, banister like this, pushing up against the wall like this, and just <laughs> like falling and going, ah, ah, you know, the whole, whole time down. And then getting up the stairs was even worse. And it was like this for only about a week. <laughs> it was awful. I was destroyed. My body hated me. And so I had this choice to make you know, as to whether or not I was going to go back to volleyball the next week. And, and this was not even a possibility I had considered. I had been playing sports my whole life. I was like, there's no way. Of course I can just go out like I used to in college and play basketball for three, four hours a night every, every week. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, something very clear that came to me as to why this was the case. Over the years that I had not played any sports, there were a lot of nights that I sat awfully comfortably on the couch. And that's how I got to that point. And so this thing that I love to do, then I had the choice the next week, because the next night was coming, you know, it was only a week later that I had this choice. Like, okay, am I going to do this thing that I love and enjoy the relationships that I made the first night that I went out there? Am I going to go do this thing, or am I going to allow my discomfort to cause me to quit? And I can tell you this. If I had made the decision to not continue to play volleyball, I would be miserable. It would not be a higher quality of of life for me to be sedentary and sit on the couch instead of play volleyball on Thursday nights. So now for me, Thursday night is volleyball night. We have this choice to make whether or not we're going to quit or keep going when it comes to the discomfort that we face in our life. And if we have this definition that, well, I'm only going to be content when I'm comfortable with what's going on in my life, then we're going to miss out on some pretty important things in our lives. For me, there was this intrinsic motivation to make that call, the friendships, the competition. Um, I enjoy hitting something hard. Uh, it's, it's helpful for me. Uh, maybe you can appreciate that. But there are a lot of other things it's easy to be much more passive on. For example, it's easier to sit down than stand up. It's just kind of a natural thing. Can you imagine, like, hey, let's all stand up for this entire service. How would that go? <laughs> no, uh, I'm going. Uh, it's easier to do the drive through than prepare a meal, right? But we all know which is better for us. It's easier to use a credit card than to make concrete budget decisions. It's easier to rely on your phone than it is to be present in the moment. It's easier to talk about someone than to talk to that someone. It's easier to be behind a keyboard than look someone in the eye. It's easier to have a general idea about something that confirms what you already believe to be true rather than putting real concerted effort into having a well-studied and nuanced view of complex issues. It's easier to blame others than to look inward. It's easier to acquire than it is to be generous, and it's easier to be indifferent than it is to be, invo- to be vulnerable. And we could keep going on with the list, and all of us have at least one thing on that list where we know 
that if we had been stuck where it was easier, then we would have missed out on some of the most important breakthroughs that we've had in our lives because we were willing to push past the discomfort and do the right thing when it came to that situation we found ourselves in. Only pursuing what is comfortable creates the illusion that our most restful state produces our most content state, and it's just simply not true. Think about the countless rich people who are miserable, and all of us are like, yeah, I want to give that a try sometime. (laughs) You know, let me see if I would be miserable if I were rich, or how often a spoiled kid ends up bored. Or how often people remain in a bad situation when they're given an opportunity to get out just because of the fear that exists when we're not sure what's going to happen if we change our situation. I heard this excerpt recently from a poem that struck me as pretty fitting uh, for today, and, and this is the excerpt. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die find that to be a pretty powerful statement about what it, you know, where it comes down to, what choices we make when we're not comfortable. Our motivation and how we become content makes a big difference in whether or not we actually experience contentment. And so our passage this morning is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be starting to read in verse 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there. But I, there's a really interesting context in which Paul, who's writing this letter to the, to the church at Corinth, why he brings up and talks about what he does, where he does. So in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, Paul starts to talk about people who are coming into the church that are trying to undermine his authority. And so all the work that Paul has done to spread Christ, the teaching that he's given, the missionary journeys, the, the churches that he started, there are people that are coming into the church at Corinth and trying to use Uh, religion and the relationships that are in that church for their own gain. And so Paul is talking about how, hey, listen, uh, there are very specific reasons why I am more authoritative than those people who have come in and are trying to undercut what I'm doing here. And so you need to listen. And so he begins to give examples as to why they should listen to him more than these other people because of his connection to Jesus, because of who he is as a leader, because of the authority that he has, because of his position as an apostle. And so in the middle of all of this, Paul uses this argument to justify the position he's been given by God in such a way that seems very counterintuitive. And so listen to what he says. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being, becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That, like, that's not a normal way of thinking about things in life. That's not our typical, like, natural response to the situations that we fall into where we would think, man, this is, this is Satan tormenting me in my life, but I'm going to rely on God's grace through this and recognize that when I'm weak, I'm strong. The stronger we are, the more comfortable we can be is more the conventional wisdom Uh, the more that we're able to provide, acquire, and maintain the better life that we lead. But Paul 
doesn't just walk, he runs in the complete opposite direction of this line of thinking. And he doesn't even stop with the idea of contentment and satisfaction, but he says he delights in his weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. In fact, these are the things that he points to to bolster his authority as someone set aside to lead the church and write authoritatively on faith and practice. Even the way that he talks about this, this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, we don't know what it is, that he struggles with clues us into how he categorizes human weakness. And the modern way of saying a thorn in the flesh is a pain in the butt. I don't know if you knew that, but that's, that's kind of the, the new English translation of what, what that means. And we don't know what it is. There's some suggestions that scholars have made. Paul, Paul's poor eyesight, maybe some disease, maybe because of all the beatings that he's experienced. Maybe it's the people that he's talking about, the imposters he's having to correct. But actually, there, there has been some new, newer scholarship that's come out, and we now know what Paul's uh, pain in the butt was. And that's this. <clears throat> no? I was never much of a fan of SpongeBob, so I feel like that's pretty fitting. Now, here's the thing. I'm still reading it. I, I got it. That's fine. It's kind of a slow, it's like the wave, you know, it's kind of going across. Would it have, I'll cut it out, second service. Would it, would it have made his life easier if whatever thing that, de- that he dealt with was gone? Yes. He would have been much more comfortable. It was something that I'm sure that he even felt made him less effective as an as a evangelist for the gospel. Yet his perspective ultimately was this, that God gave him this discomfort to keep him from ruining his ministry with pride. Isn't that, a, to me, that's a fascinating way of thinking about this thing that he was wrestling with. Because he was willing to look at it in terms of how God defined this, not how he was defining it. From this perspective, then, this was a gift from God that Satan was attempting to use to discourage him from following God. And there's the caution. The, the reason why this was not taken away from Paul is that if it had been, it would have made him a less effective reflection of the life-changing power, power of Jesus. God's message to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, is a gift for all of us because it lets us know that our life's worth and quality is not contingent upon our comparison with other people and other situations and looking at the other side of the fence and thinking, man, if it was just there, I would have a much better enjoyment and satisfaction with life. Where we get that from is a life that's fully satisfied in Jesus. How we handle our discomfort gives us the opportunity to depend on God, show Christ at work in a resurrected life, and enable us to be sustained by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Contentment pursues commitment to Christ over comfort. And the way that we experience this is by not giving up on Jesus in these different situations and circumstances and events that we face and people that we face in our lives. Paul had plenty of experiences, uh, plenty of opportunities to give up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is a lengthy passage, but it's important for us to read this and understand the context in which Paul is talking about the hardships that he's faced. He gives a list. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, he writes, You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. A little sarcasm there. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. And maybe we can think of some modern-day examples, maybe in religion, maybe in politics, of people and leaders that bully people into believing certain aspects of faith 
or culture that, yeah, the, these are the things that matter. These are the things that are important and completely miss the truth. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, and I'm speaking as a fool, this is what Paul is saying, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. Here's how he says he's more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea. It's almost like a Dr. Seuss book at this point. In danger from false believers, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I mean, Paul's, Paul's argument here about what it looks like to li- delight in weakness because of the strength that God provides and shows in our life in that moment is, is pretty significant here. Now, I, w- I want to make one thing, and this is kind of a side note, uh, pr- pretty clear, is that I-, I know many of you have been in situations where you've been in danger and you've been hurt, you've been harmed, you've been abused, you've been damaged, and and I, I want to be clear that there, there's a significant difference in the situation in which Paul finds himself in those moments versus, you know, how we might apply this in every area of our life. And, and that's this, is that Paul is specifically talking about moments that he faces because he's being faithful in his faith journey with Jesus. And, and there are some things that are just... that. That, that we experience and go through that are not tied into that. Sometimes they're, uh, you know, born out of our own weakness, things that we're trying to be strong and we are in situations that we place ourselves in. Sometimes we're just around a situation that through no fault of our own puts us in a horrible, horrible spot. This does not mean stay somewhere where you're being abused or damaged or harmed by trying to enjoy the pain and suffering, all right? So I just want to make sure that's clear. It means, what it means is that we can be content to be uncomfortable and weak and suffer when we know that we are sustained by the righteousness of the Holy Spirit at work within us because we are pursuing and following God's plan and will for our life through Jesus. This is how Paul survives and boasts this miserable list of life experience, not because he's found the path to a perfect life or even found himself or embraced a strength he didn't know he had but because of what he says in chapter 12, verse 9, the power of Jesus at work within us is what makes us whole. The broken pieces of your life aren't meant for you to try to discover on your own and search out and put together on your own. It's what's so dangerous about propping up a social ideal, cultural ideal, finding and embracing oneself in a self-defined way. It's why we can be the most comfortable in choosing whatever we want for ourselves. Remember when... Remember when we were, you know, 
excited about becoming an, an adult because then we could do whatever we want to and we could eat as many fruity pebbles as we wanted, you know, all those kinds of things. And like you have agency in your life and kind of determine where, like why are we still unhappy then? Because when we're holding the reins and we're making all the choices, like we, don't we get to decide whether or not we do things that are going to lead to our happiness? And yet somehow that just doesn't work out. It's like, it's like we don't know everything. And it's like we're, we're not, not the people who, who have all the best ideas in, in our lives for how we should live our life. And that, that if there was someone who had that, maybe we should follow that person. Okay, just a little bit of sarcasm there, because I'm talking about myself too. And that's who God is. That's what Jesus does, does for us. Leading ourselves through our sin and our brokenness just leads to more sin and brokenness. It's inevitable. Until we learn the truth about how to have a happy and content and satisfying life regardless of what happens, just as Paul did, God's grace is more than enough, and his redemption is made complete when we hand our brokenness over to him. Finding who you are and succumbing to it doesn't bring contentment. Giving who you are over to Jesus does. Paul's thorn in the flesh did not define him. I mean, he mentions it only one time. But his life is defined by the power of God at work through him despite the weaknesses that he had in his life. And frankly, because of this, as Christians, for those of us who are and have made that decision in this room, we should be the most content people in this world. We should be leading the charge in happiness because we're willing to push through the discomfort because we know this is not the whole of our existence. Because we know that our trust in God represents something much more everlasting than just for our comfort in the moment. So don't give up. That's what it looks like when we pursue comfort over contentment when it comes to following Jesus. It's, it's, it's a giving up. So don't do it. Don't give up on taking a stand. Don't give up on hospitality. Don't give up on vulnerability. Don't give up on generosity. Don't give up on dialogue. Don't give up on being teachable. Don't give up on looking at your life the way that God does. And don't give up on bearing godly fruit. And don't give up on hope. Embrace the discomfort. Not embracing discomfort will always stop you just short of experiencing the full life Jesus as Lord and Savior will bring. Here's the final, final th thought that I had that I, I want to kind of wrap up this discussion on godly contentment and what it looks like when we embrace discomfort. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. And some of us know some of the physical and mental difficulties that Franklin Roosevelt was under. Crippling disease, a horrible, horrific world war as a leader. And he says, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. You know, do you know why that is? Are you familiar with the water enough to know how you get a smooth sea? There's no wind. You can't sail without wind. And sometimes the wind, when it comes up, it looks kind of scary because it brings along the waves. And those are the things, the situations that can damage your vessel. It can toss you up against the rocks. can put you in places and situations that you don't want to be in. Okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave the metaphor there. I think, I think we get the idea there. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the good, good news, the great news. 
The relationship that God, the relationship with God that Jesus ushers in is anchored in the indwelling person of God and the Holy Spirit. And the word for spirit, when the Holy Spirit is talked about in the New Testament, the word there is pneuma. And that Greek word means breath or wind. And so the great news is not only do we have the opportunity to know the one who gives us breath, but we're invited to be continually sustained by his help and his counsel and his advocacy between us and God by the very wind that guides us to living within God's all-sufficient grace. That's the gift that we're promised and given when we say yes to Jesus. That's the beauty of the picture of, you know, we talk about baptism and we make that invitation that if you have not made that choice to go all in with Jesus, that's the picture that we're given in the New Testament of saying yes to Jesus. The brokenness of sin is washed away. And coming out of that water, it's not about the, the water's not magical, but it's about what God is doing for us when we say yes to Jesus. And that we come up as a new creation, someone made whole and guided if we're willing to choose commitment over Christ and contentment in God's grace over anything else in our life, a, a new and different way of experiencing things, even when we find ourselves in our most weakest, weakened state, we know that God is that much stronger. That's, that's the path to contentment is relying on and trusting in God, regardless of what kind of situation we find ourselves in, is that we maintain that commitment to Christ because how, how he is committed to us, he indwells us. God's spirit indwells us to be with us continually, regardless of where we find ourselves in life. And so as we, as we take communion together, like we do every week at Velocity, and we take this time aside to celebrate what Jesus did for us to bring us this ability to experience contentment this side of heaven. I just, I just, ask, I just ask you to consider and think about those, those areas in life. Like, where have you come just short because you've chosen comfort over contentment in Jesus? Like, can you imagine, like, Jesus in the garden is like, hey, I don't want to be crucified. This is not something I want to do. Well, if Jesus had stopped just short, like, we wouldn't be here, right? It's the same thing in our life. Where are you stopping just short? of pushing through the discomfort and pursuing what God wants you to do in that place, in that area, and with that person in your life.